Hi there. How's everyone doing? Great. Glad to hear it. Just a couple of things sort of along the lines of a family update. Won't take as long as a usual one does. Just a couple of things that I want us to all be on the same page about in the life of Journey. You might have noticed if you pay much attention to the kids department, and if you have kids, I'm sure you pay close attention back there. You might have noticed that Amy Childers, who is our director of children's ministry, has been absent for the past few weeks. I just want you to know that's by design. That is intentional. Back at the end of May, we invited Amy to take a 60-day leave of absence in order for her to regroup and revive and love on her family during this season of time. And that 60 days is up at the end of June. We'll review that with her at the end of June. And we might extend it if circumstances warrant that. In the interim, we've asked Marcy Long to lead the kids' department uh, in the interim season. She's ably and very capably picked that up back there, along with the assistance of some very, very capable partners. And uh, it's an important season in our kids' ministry because if you remember, in the fall, we're adding a third service, okay? We really need, that means that we really need our staffing to amp up in the kids' department as we move through the summer and into the fall. The status quo will not cut it in the fall. I want you to know that our kids' department serves as many as 200 kids a weekend. That is a lot of children. At present, that is the largest ministry in our church outside of what goes on in this room, and I would uh, offer that what goes on in this room couldn't happen if what went on back there didn't happen, and so uh, it's way up there on the list of important ministries in the life of Journey Church. I ran into a statistic this week that looks like this. As many as 85% of people who give their lives to Jesus Christ, make a decision to give their life to Jesus Christ, do so before the age of 14. Let that sink in. As many as 85% of people who give their lives to Jesus Christ do so before the age of 14. And if that doesn't put a high value on what goes on around our church back in the kids' department, I have no idea what will. So maybe some of you have been entering into the life of Journey Church and you've been considering a way to get off of the bench and into the serving game around here, right now would be a great time and the kids' department would be a great place for you to step into the serving game. You can use one of those cards that are in the chair pockets in front of you or uh, you can get a hold of Marcy in the office during the week if you want to follow out that leading that the Lord might be prompting you to get into the serving game around here. This would be a great time and the kids' ministry would be a great department for that to happen. Uh, what's next weekend? Father's Day. Father's Day. Jeez, you're just right on time. And that was all ladies who said it, too. Good job. <laughs> Way to go. I'm going to preach a message called Dad the Family Coach next weekend, and I'm going to show some of the parallels between what it is to be a great dad and a great coach. And helping me make that connection is the MSU head football coach, a guy named Rob Ash, who's new to our town. I filmed an interview with him last week, and you will not want to miss next weekend. I had one of the most delightful and engaging conversations with Coach Ash about that fatherhood coaching connection that you could imagine. That guy is a class act and uh, just a delightful guy. I would call him the best. And so next weekend will be a very strategic inviting opportunity for you, in my opinion. So just think about how you could leverage Father's Day and the lives of some people in your world around here. Coach Ash on the big screens in my interview with him. Dad, the family coach. Some other things are going to be going on too that we'll tell you about later. Starting the weekend after Father's Day, I'm going to start a four-week message series on the subject of environmental stewardship. Anyone been thinking about that lately? 
on environmental stewardship, a green series, if you will. And in my opinion, the church, the capital C church, is a latecomer to the environmental stewardship conversation, the green conversation. And so we're going to start to have a conversation around here about what it looks like to follow Jesus and steward the environment. And I think this will be another strategic inviting opportunity for you. I'm sure you have people in your world, I do, who think that the church is out of touch and irrelevant to real issues and real life. And so I just invite you to consider who in your world might, it be, uh, might be well served by your invitation into that series. Starts the weekend after next. Dead the Family Coach and then the Green Series. Speaking of invitation, I invite you please to give a very warm Journey Church welcome to our Director of Student Ministries, Caleb Walker, who's going to be bringing the goods to us today. Caleb? Well, I appreciate being here. Thank you guys very, very much. I want to start out with a question today, and it requires some honesty. You guys are ready for honesty? We can do that, right? How many of you are daydreamers? Yes. Excellent. Well, that's why you come to church, because I'm going to invite you to daydream for just a little while. So here we go. I need you to daydream about the glory days of high school. You guys got that? Daydream about the glory days of high school. I know a lot of you, you should be able to do this just fine. Now, here we go. I want you to imagine that it's, it's lunchtime, wherever you went to high school, and I want you to picture who you used to hang out with. Who are the students that you used to eat high school lunch with? Maybe you're in high school. Who do you eat with? Now, here we go. In the midst of high school, unfortunately, each one of us had a group that we lived inside of, right? That we ate lunch with, that we did life together with. And each of those groups was almost always labeled and stereotyped. You were given names like jocks or preps or emos or geeks, or nerds, or stoners, or skaters, or you were a priss, or maybe you were the church kid. The church kid. Now, in high school, you knew which group you were in, and you also knew which group every other student was inside of. Now, the major problem, though, is how each of these groups viewed the other ones. Take, for instance, the jocks. They hated the nerds because the nerds could act out every episode from Star Trek from front to back and back to front. (laughs) Now... The nerds hated the jocks because oftentimes the nerds were treated very, very poorly. And if you were ever on a high school campus where you think back to your campus, you saw this all over the place. And you were placed in one of these groups depending upon your age, your gender, your grades, your athletic talent or lack of, your looks, your humor, how you dressed, how much money your family did or did not have, by what part of town you lived in, anything that could be weighed was weighed. Anything that could be looked at that would put you in a category was looked at. And then every day because of that, you were going through school asking the very same question that every other student was, the question of, who am I? Who am I? The truth, however, is that God has actually called us to be the exact opposite of what we used to be in high school. And so that brings us to our big idea this morning. And our big idea says this, God calls us to see people without restrictions. What does your grid look like? Would you pray with me as we dig in this morning? God, we're just humbled to be here. And it's such a blast to come in and to worship together and to seek you together. And so right now, we just ask you to be here with us, to challenge us to open our hearts and open our minds and to see people the way that you see people, to love people the way that you love people, to show grace to people the way that you show grace to people. Would you come teach us this morning? It's in your name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bible with you this morning, I'd invite you to open to Acts 15. 
and Acts uh, 15, 36 is where we're going to be digging in, and we need to get a little background before we jump right into the text. We're going to be picking up the story, looking at two men named Paul and Barnabas. And Paul and Barnabas are the two apostles who have been given the mission and the challenge from God to share the gospel with the non-Jewish nations. Paul and Barnabas are the guys whose purpose and whose calling is to share with people who have never heard the name of Jesus Christ. Let's pick up the story in Acts 15, 36. Uh, Just so you know, I got my blood tested last week and it's NIV positive. There you go, there you go. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. And the very first thing that I notice here when we read this text, is that Paul and Barnabas had a passionate desire to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, lately I've been wondering where my desires lie and where the desires of the church lie. And I think each and every one of us, we have all kinds of desires. Desires to make money or finish school or not finish school, to get a job, to get a degree, to get married, to have kids, to buy a new house, to buy a new car, or to maybe buy a 16-gig iPod Touch I'd be the happy recipient if anybody wants to give one. Those things are incredible, let me say. But nevertheless, we all have desires. Each and every one of us have desires. And this past week, I had a chance to visit a church in California as I'm doing some work on some programming structures around Journey for the months to come. And when I got there and I walked off the plane, I asked a question. And I think it's a question a lot of us ask, why am I here? In my case, why the heck was I in Orange County? Right? Why was I in California? And at the end of the week, the question was still the same, but I knew the answer. And the answer was because at this point in my life, God has given me a desire to follow him and to serve him and to love him. My question for you becomes, where are your desires? We all have them. Paul and Barnabas had a desire to serve the Lord and to share Christ with the people they encountered. Essentially, Paul and Barnabas are doing is taking the gospel into the nations that have been neglected for generations upon generations. Paul and Barnabas are looking at all the people and the places where they could be spending their time, putting their gifts to use, and they choose to go to a people who are chastised, who are mocked, who in the past were not a part of God's chosen people, who are not Israelites, people that we know as Gentiles. And a Gentile nation is any nation that was not a part of the 12 tribes of Israel. We, in fact, are Gentiles. And we see that this is not the first time that Paul and Barnabas are going to see these people. This is a follow-up trip where they're going to encourage these people in their walk with Christ, to challenge them in their faith, to see how they are doing. But for us to really understand what is going on, we need to know a few things. And the first thing that we need to know is that these Gentile nations that Paul and Barnabas are going to see were known as heathen nations. For generations, these nations had participated in idol worship, in worship of false gods and false false prophets. They had partaken in heathen rituals and sacrifice. They were known as nations of deception and political corruption. These Gentile nations were cultures of disaster. They mocked and rejected the true living God. And these are the people that Paul and Barnabas choose to give their lives to. The second thing that we need to know is that the book of Acts is a book of transition. For generations, the people of Israel have been living under the rule and the guidance that has been passed down from generations past. The governing authority that people lived by was known as the law and the Ten Commandments. But then this guy named Jesus comes on this scene and he declares that he is this new covenant and that he is abolishing the law. Jesus declares that no longer is the way of living to be focused on rules and traditions, but it should be focused on love. 
And so the book of Acts is a transitionary period from living under the legalistic area of the Old Testament and moving into the era of living under the grace and the love that God gives. We need to keep all that in mind as we keep pushing forward. Now, the question I want us to ask ourselves is this. If these towns, if these nations that Paul and Barnabas had such a great desire to see were not a part of God's people, why are Paul and Barnabas wanting to go see them in the first place? If these people are so lost, so engulfed by idol worship and sacrifice, why do Paul and Barnabas give a rip about them? And so so for us to know that, we need to rewind a little bit in our Bibles. I'd invite you to turn back to Acts 15, 1 and 2. Follow along on the side screens if you don't have a text with you today. This is what it says. Sometime, some men came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Now we see that picture of law and tradition right there. Now let me say, that's a pretty bold statement. And the way that I think about this is kind of like talking to a Grizz fan. Do we got any Grizz fans in the house? I see a few of you. It's kind of like talking to a Grizz fan because when you tell them that the cats are without a doubt a better team, they're simply in denial of the truth. Right? They're simply in denial of the truth. We love you, Grizz fans, but we'll pray for you. But look what Paul and Barnabas say in response to this. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. So at this point, on one side, we have a standoff. On one side, we have this group of men who are known as the religious leaders of the day, and they're not stupid. They know all 613 of the laws that they must follow. They have memorized the Old Testament, the entire thing. And their job is to debate and defend what they deem as unmovable truth. These guys are 100% committed to tradition and to the laws and to the customs of their day. On the other side, you have these two radical apostles, Paul and Barnabas. We might even dare to call these guys postmodern. Because Paul and Barnabas represent challenge, they represent change, and they represent the first major missionary team that we see in Scripture. Now, this meeting that they are heading to is not some feel-good, touchy-feely, let's drink coffee and sing kumbaya type of meeting. You didn't laugh. (laughs) Now, have you ever prepared for one of those meetings where you know that one false word or one false look or one false thought could just explode the room? That's what Paul and Barnabas are heading into. That's the type of thing that they're putting themselves into. Now, the topic is fabulous, right? The topic is what? Circumcision. Circumcision. It's great. Now, just think about this for a minute, would you? Imagine going home at night, talking to your family, maybe your spouse, and you say, honey, we had a fabulous meeting today, right? You say, we got to sit down and we talked about all the rules and regulations about circumcision. I can't believe you missed it. We don't take that into our homes. That's not the the kind of topic that you sit down and eat macaroni over, right? But that's where Paul and Barnabas are headed. And what's going to throw this meeting into turmoil is who can and who can't be a true follower of God. These religious leaders are saying, hey, you have to be circumcised to be saved. And the apostles are saying, just put your knives away. Now, this whole circumcision bit, it wasn't something to take lightly. Gently, maybe, but not lightly. (laughs) And the Israelites, for thousands of years, had been circumcising their newborn males. They circumcised those children because it was the mark of following God. And to truly understand the weight that was held with circumcision, we need to know, where did it come from? 
Why are the religious leaders so hung up on this one thing? Notice they didn't debate about tongues. They didn't debate about whether or not you believe in pre-trib or post-trib rapture. They debated about the single most important thing that anybody could. Who can and who can't follow God and what conditions have to be present for this to be true. So turn in your Bibles with me all the way back to Genesis 17. Let's see where this comes from. Now in my Bible, Genesis 17 is on page 15. And in most books that I have read, by page 15, things are generally going pretty well. You're just getting to know some of the characters. You know a little bit about them. You're starting to scheme about the plot line if you haven't read the back cover or the last few pages, right? But not the Bible. The Bible is a lot different. And if you ever want to read an action thriller, stop buying Tom Clancy and buy a book of Moses, okay? Think about it with me. On page one, you have this massive creation story and the birth of the human race, On pages two and three, you have a man and a woman and a love story. And then you have betrayal and sin and guilt and shame. On page four, you have jealousy and murder. On pages five, six, and seven, the nations have become so wicked that God wipes them out and finds only one family who is still righteous, Noah. Right, we see that. On page ten, you have a nation who wants to play God and they have plans of building a city that is so majestic that people will marvel at them. God foils that plan by making them speak different languages so that they can't understand each other. And then on pages 12 and 13, you have Abraham rescuing his son Lot from death. And then you have battle and war and the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And to say the least, that by page 14 and 15, these people are a wreck. They are lost, they are broken, they are hurting, they are living in a world of sin and corruption and deception. They live in the midst of war, and I can only imagine what they thought was going to happen next. And so look with me to what God tells his servant Abraham, because these people, they're looking for a sign. They're looking for a way to know that God is real. Have you ever asked that question? Is God real? God, are you there? Genesis 17, verse 3. Abraham fell face down. And God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant, an everlasting covenant, between me and you and your descendants after you for generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan where you are now an alien, I will give it as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Now that sounds pretty good, right? That's God's part of what's going on. But look what God tells Abraham then. Then God said to Abraham, As for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you, for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Here it is. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and you for the generations to come. Every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring. Whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant is in your flesh to be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut from his people, for he has broken my covenant. Now fast forward with me all the way back to Acts 15. 
the reason these religious leaders that Paul and Barnabas are butting heads with are so staunch on their position is because they do not want to be cut from God's covenant. They know the scriptures. They know that God commanded that the newborns must be circumcised. And so there is no way that these guys are going to give up without a fight. And it is not only a direct commandment from God himself for these people, but they have been living in these laws and these traditions for thousands and thousands of years. And so Paul and Barnabas head into this meeting where they are going to challenge the thousands of years of tradition. And the question comes about for us, why challenge it? And the reason is because even though Paul and Barnabas know that God commanded circumcision, Paul and Barnabas also knew that the prophets had actually prophesied a day when a new covenant would be established, a covenant that would be paid with the blood of a coming Messiah. And this Messiah would rule and reign over all the earth and no longer would man need to perform any acts that would mark him or her as God's because God himself was going to mark his people by giving his life and eventually filling each person with the Spirit. And so Paul and Barnabas, they knew this, and they remember the words that Jesus gave the night before he was betrayed. We know this passage, but look at Luke 22 with me. Look what Jesus tells his followers. And he, Jesus, took bread, gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. The new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And so Paul and Barnabas, they recognized that Jesus himself was and still is the new covenant. That his death, his battered, torn, and bruised body, and that his shed blood was making a way for us to know God without us having to do any work but it's about his sacrifice and his resurrection. And so Paul and Barnabas head into this meeting with confidence. And so let's finish our story in Acts 15, 4 and see where this takes us. When they came to Jerusalem to the meeting, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, the religious leaders, stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. They're not ready to give up. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God who knows the heart showed that he accepted them by giving them the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. And so Paul and Barnabas and the rest of the apostles and disciples, they proclaim that the act of circumcision has been abolished by God's power and God's sacrifice. By God's power and God's sacrifice. Paul and Barnabas are saying, look guys, Jesus is is real, he is the Messiah, and it is by grace that we are saved. It is nothing that we do, it is not anything that we say, and we right here, just like the people in Genesis, we are fallen, we are broken, and we are in need of a Savior and of a God who has the power to save us without us having to do a single thing. 
And if we look at other religions around the world, grace is what sets Christianity apart from every other religion. Because in every other religion, man has to do something to prove himself worthy to God. But Christianity is different because it is the only religion worldwide where man does absolutely nothing other than recognize the sacrifice that God has made on our behalf. We have to do nothing other than recognize the sacrifice that God has made on our behalf. And so we recognize a God of grace. And so Paul and Barnabas, they challenge the religious leaders with the truth that anyone can follow and know God. That anyone can follow and know God. This is why Paul and Barnabas had a desire to visit the Gentile nations and towns in the first place. Because they wanted to proclaim to these people that the grid of who can and can't know God is open to all people. And they have a desire for each person that they interact to know this truth, to know Jesus, and to not be blinded by systems of laws and works and traditions, but rather to live a life in God's grace. And so the question for us becomes today, how do we see people? And what does our grid look like? Now, I earnestly believe that most Christ followers would say and admit that they believe that everybody needs Jesus. That everybody on the face of planet would be better off if they were living inside of God's grace. But let's get past the service and dig down a little bit. When I look around and interact with people and even think about my own life and how the church sees people, I all too often see that we are not very, doing a very good job at seeing people the way that God sees people. We claim that people need Jesus, yet we give up on friends or family members that we have been trying to share our faith with for years and we simply label them as lost causes. We hear of people who have been evicted out of their home for some reason or another, yet we offer them no place to stay. We listen to the gal in front of us at the coffee line tell the clerk that her husband just left her, and there in that moment we have the opportunity to reach out a hand of love and comfort, yet we don't. We know people in our community who are alcoholics or porn addicts, or who are divorced, or who are separated, or who have had an affair, or who dropped out of school. And we label them and pigeonhole them. We judge them as a society of misfits before we even meet them. Yet we ourselves used to be those very same people and deal with the very same things. Now I know in my life that I've been being challenged on how I see people. About a month or so ago, I was having an email conversation with Hopkins in regard to getting some students involved in our summer, summer ministry. And although I didn't mean to, I threw some comments had labeled a set of students in an us-versus-them mentality. I'd actually looked on one set of students with greater favor than I did another. And although I didn't mean to, it happened. And Brian, as blunt as he is, he asked me a question. And he asked me this question. Do you remember who the great physician came to save? Do you remember who the great physician came to save? And of course I did. The great physician came to save the sick. He came to save the depressed. He came to save the hurting. He had come to save the very students that I had put on a lower grid and judged. And so for me, I had some seeking of forgiveness to do. I had to remove some restrictions on how I saw those students so that I could see them in the very same way that God sees them. How about you? What restrictions do you need to lift to see people the way that God sees people? For Paul and Barnabas and really the entire church at that time, the restriction they needed to get rid of was not just the whole circumcision bit. 
But they needed to get rid of the idea that man had to work for salvation. The early church needed to get rid of the notion that circumcision was the mark of God. No longer was that true. And for the early church to be effective in its outreach, for them to take the shape and the form that God had intended, they needed to stop and look around and see what restrictions they needed to remove. They needed to realize that any person they met could be a Christ follower. That any person they met could follow the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And so for us, living here in the 21st century, we need to do the same thing. I believe that each and every one of us need to take a good look at our life. We need to be honest with ourselves. We need to wipe off the restrictions that we have on people. And let me tell you what, it stings. My conversation with Brian through email, it stung. I told him that. We talked about it later. But by doing that, it's making me a better Christ follower. And it's making me a better conduit of God's word and God's love and God's redemptive power. And so maybe for you, you need to evaluate how you look at a friend or a family member. Maybe you need to change an attitude or a behavior that you have that says, I don't care about you. Maybe for you, you need to start expressing love to the people that you love, not just assuming that they love you by telling them that you love them, by serving them, and doing what Jesus modeled for us. After all, Jesus came and said, I came that I might serve, not to be served, right? Not to be served. And so if we are in the business of removing the restrictions that we put on people, we ought to be serving them. Maybe for you, the restrictions you need to remove is how you see a whole group of people. Whatever it is, I would challenge you to get rid of it. Now, sometimes... We ask ourselves, well, how do I know if I've even put restrictions on people? It's a simple question, and I think the answer is even simpler. If you're looking at some person or some group of people, and you're feeling something other than love towards that person, you have work to do. And I can imagine that we could all sit down and write a list of restrictions that we've put on people. I know that I've been working on a list. And so I would challenge you to think about that to think about how you're seeing people. As we get close to closing here today, I want us to shift modes for just a minute. And I want us to ask a question. If God is calling us to remove restrictions on how we see people, what is Journey Student Ministries doing to make sure that every student has the chance to be growing in Jesus Christ? What are we doing? Some of you may know that around Journey, we have two student ministry groups. For middle schoolers, 6th through 8th grade, we have a group called the SLAM. And the SLAM stands for Students Living a Mission. Around the SLAM, our aim and goal is to challenge students to live the mission that God has put before them. For them to be founded in Jesus, to be serving, to be reaching out to their friends, and to be going just as Christ went. We're just getting ready to start our summer schedule for the summer. And on Thursday nights, we'll be meeting from 7 to 9 o'clock over at Kirk Park where we as middle school students, we dig into the heart of God together. And that invitation is open for every middle school student, not only in our church, but in our valley. And so if you're a middle school student out there right now, we'd love for you to come hang out with us. We'd love for you to come meet our leaders and some other students and get plugged into a ministry and a place where you can know what it means to be following God. And during those times, we have fabulous nights. We play some wild and crazy games but we dig down into the real issues of life. And right now we have around 30 to 40 middle school students coming every week, which is great. 
And every month we serve in the neighborhood of 90 to 100 middle school students. And so our desire is that the SLAM is a place where every middle school student, not only in our church, but in our valley, can meet Jesus Christ. We also have a high school ministry around Journey called Inside Out. And the purpose of IO is that we would be students leading students towards Christ one heart at a time. And to be honest, I think we could be doing a better job at serving the high school students of our valley that we could be doing a better job of giving students the opportunity to get involved into life-giving groups. We're just starting our summer schedule for our high school students as well. We'll be meeting on Wednesday nights from 7 to 9 o'clock at Kirk Park as well, doing the same thing, walking through this world, digging into the life of a high school student and into the life of God. But here we go. One thing I notice, not only here at Journey, but in our valley, is that Bozeman is not a culture where high school students get involved with peers who want to follow Jesus. Oftentimes, I know this is because the life of a high school student may be busier than it has ever been in years past, from school to sports to extracurricular activities to clubs and jobs to weekends to family time to just figuring out what it means to be a teenager. Life is busy. And the thought of a youth group or a youth program on top of that might seem overwhelming or just like another thing that they have to do. But truth be told, along with the busyness of life, also comes life. Also comes life. And the reality is that many high school students are dealing with all kinds of things. They're dealing with the pressures of academics and sports and peer pressure. They deal with issues of self-esteem and self-worth. They constantly live on the battleground of trying to fit in and to find love and to be loved and accepted. Many students come from broken homes and broken families, and there's fairly easy access to drugs and to alcohol and pornography. They're dealing with feelings and emotions and don't forget hormones. And in the midst of all of those things and so much more, God can oftentimes become this very distant thing or distant idea or maybe nothing. And life seems to come and go with no purpose and with no meaning. And so around Journey, we have a desire that every high school student at Journey and in our valley would have a vibrant relationship with Jesus. And in our opinion, the best way for that to happen is by doing life together in small group settings. And so throughout the summer and into the fall, Inside Out is going to roll out a new program that is going to challenge every student who walks through the front door of Journey to get involved in a small group. We see a couple hundred students come through the front door of Journey every month. And so on September 7th, right when school starts, we're going to launch our small groups. And those small groups will meet once a week where you can dig into the heart of God with a couple peers and a couple college-age leaders and ask the real questions that you have to where we can encourage you and do life with you together. And then once a month, all of our small groups and an invitation to our entire valley will be given out to where we come together and do a worship event for high school students only, where we will worship together, where we will laugh together, where we will reach out together and we will do life together and we will stop living alone. And so right now, I know that there's a lot of high school students sitting out here in the crowd. And you're wondering, well, is something like this, is a small group worth it? Is it worth my time? Is it worth my energy? And I think it is. But why not hear from a high school student? Watch this. Sarah, thanks so much for taking some time to share with us today. Uh, And you're a graduating senior, right? Yes. 
Very cool. And you're going where for college next year? Wheaton College. Very cool. And, and excited for all that. Oh, I'm so excited. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Sarah, I want to talk a little bit today about kind of the life of a high school student. I know that all high school students are dealing with different things and different issues. And so would you just share with us maybe what you've been thinking about or dealing with kind of in your in your life over the past year or two? Yeah. Um, I would say mostly in this last year and a half, uh, we moved to Montana and meeting new friends and being a part of different situations, especially as a senior, I have to make a lot of big decisions, you know, where I'm going to college, what I'm doing with my life, what things I want to do this summer. And it's been a struggle for me to really trust God in every aspect of my life because I love the Lord. I want to follow him. I want to do his will. But sometimes I feel like in certain situations that I can do it by myself. Uh, Like one time I had a conversation with someone in my class and I felt that I could do it by myself and I said what I felt and I said things in anger and things like that and I didn't just walk away and pray about it or think about it because I just wanted, I just thought I could do it by myself. So that's been a real struggle for me because it's just hard for me when I things are going really great and I feel like I'm in control. I've just really learned over this past year that I just need to give it to God and just let those people go because He's in control and He's taking care of me and can fight my battles. For sure. And so when you think about those things and you're trying to wade through those and deal with those and reconcile those, what happens when you try to do it on your own, away from people and away from the Lord? I just feel my heart getting so hardened toward people and the Lord because You know, when I don't ask the Lord for his patience and love and kindness, I just, I don't get it because I can't do it on my own. I don't have that unconditional love and patience for people that the Lord can give me when he's helping me. So when I do it on my own, I feel that my heart just is hardened toward people and even toward the Lord. Sure. And so right now, are you involved in a small group or a mentorship relationship at all? Yes. uh, During time at youth group, we have cell group time and Um, I've had an awesome experience there with the leaders, Connie and Steph. They're just awesome, and I know they'd do anything for me if I asked. And the girls have been a real encouragement. And I also have been involved in a Bible study during the school year with some of my friends at school, and my mom led it. Awesome. And so when you think about those small groups dynamics that you have, uh, how much of an impact have they had on your life and your relationship with the Lord? Huge, really big impact. First, they just... I always know that I can go to those groups and just have people listen to me. Because when I realized after a while that I couldn't do things on my own, I wanted to talk to someone. And I do have my parents that I can talk to and my brother or some of my friends. But sometimes it's really neat to just go with, you know, a strong group of Christian women that just listen. And they listened to me even when I said, you know, ungodly things, when I just wanted to get things off my chest. It just was a huge burden relief to me and then also they give that Christian perspective when they say hey you know have you looked at it this way have you read your Bible hey how about this verse or you know maybe it's not just you that's being hurt in this situation and you know sometimes I don't want to hear that but I've realized that it's really helped me because I really think God speaks through these Christian women that are in my life in these small groups and when I listen it really helps me in my life. And then I also know that all of them are praying for me and encouraging me. And that's, I mean, huge when you know people are out there who care and are praying for you. Yeah, that's really awesome. Where do you rank your small group is uh, on a level of importance? Well, probably below my prayer and devotion time with the Lord one-on-one, I'd rank it at nine or 10 on a scale of one to 10. It's 
God has made us, I think, for community. And when we take the time to hang out with Christian girls or guys that just understand and know what we're going through and have that same bond of loving Christ and wanting to serve him, it's just, it's so encouraging. That's really great. And so what would you tell a high school student who's maybe leery or thinking about getting involved in a small group, maybe scared, maybe just uncomfortable about the whole thing? What would you tell them? Well, it is scary to be vulnerable and some people that maybe you don't even know that well, but I just encourage you then that you don't have to go and be perfect. You don't have to go and say all the right things and give the Jesus answers. You just need to go and be yourself and just be open because I think the Lord works through these small groups with Christian godly women and men to speak his words of life and encouragement. And so I think just go there, be open to listen and to share. And I mean, he can work awesome things through people like that. That's really great. Thanks so much for taking some time with us today, Sarah. Yeah. For those of you who know Sarah, if you see her, give her a hug. She's been really awesome to help out. Um, and for the next few moments, I want to talk to you high school students in the room specifically. And I want us to address a question. In the past six months, I don't know how many forms of this question I've heard, but it's a lot. And the question is, how come Bozeman is so concerned with college students and doesn't do anything for us? Maybe you've asked that question to yourself. And let me say, it's a valid question. But right now, maybe you're leery about all of this small group stuff. You know that submitting yourself to a small group, that you have some things that you have to deal with, that is going to make you vulnerable. But here's the deal. Why not help change the culture of Bozeman and signing up into a small group where we can live in community with each other, where we can challenge each other, where we can laugh together and cry together and reach out together and change the culture of what Bozeman looks like. And so for each high school student here today and for the rest of the summer, I'm inviting you and I am challenging you to be a part of of a revolution of God's teams by partnering with each other to doing life together. Because if we stick together, God can use us in ways that we have never dreamed of. And so for today and for the rest of the summer, you're going to see a booth out in the front lobby where you can stop by and grab calendars and sign up for a small group. There's a place where you can do friend requests, where it can tell us where you live so we get a group that's close to your house, and we're inviting you to do life with us together. I would challenge you to do it, to step in. Also, because our mission says that we are students leading students, During the summer, we are also going to be building a student leadership team composed of around 15 to 20 students who want to be helping us lead our mission. And that group will work hand-in-hand with me and some of our other leaders thinking and brainstorming on how we can do fun and effective outreaches. We will give them the opportunity to voice their opinions, their thoughts, their feelings. And we're going to give them a chance to lead. We want to invite you into that. And especially if you're a junior or senior next year, your students need you. Your schools need you. Your peers need you. And so if you're a junior or senior, I would strongly recommend that you sign up for that. And so if that's you, would you mark on a comment card, hey, I'm interested in doing student leadership stuff, and I'll get a hold of you. We'll go hang out, have a cup of coffee, go hike the M, and and start getting to know each other. Congregation, for you, this new program that we have might be a great way for you to lift your restrictions on how you see people. And there are two major categories that we need help with to make all of this happen. The first one is small group leaders. We're looking at doing 20 small groups, so that's 40 leaders. And so we're looking for some college-aged leaders who want to dig in and lead those groups. 
who want to dig in with teens and encourage them, help them, pray with them, before, be there for them when they need it. And so if that's you, would you grab a comment card and say, hey, I'm interested in helping with high school ministry. I'll get a hold of you. The other thing that we are going to be looking for is host homes. With these 20 small groups, we need homes in areas where students can come that are close to their house. A lot of our college students are going to be living in the dorms, and so we just can't do a small group up on dorms on campus. And so we're going to be looking for houses where we can do small groups. Maybe you don't think that you're a great small group leader, but you have a house available that could be used. And so would you just think about making that available for us to use? And if that's you, would you just let us know on a comment card as well? I'll be in touch. I'll come out and check out your house. Closing here today, I said something weird. I don't know what I said. That's okay, right? I want to leave us with one thought. Maybe you're struggling with the concept of removing the restrictions on how you see people. Maybe you think that it's just too big of a thing to do and you're feeling overwhelmed for whatever that means in your life. You know it would take some work and you're not sure that you're strong enough and you just don't know if you could handle it. But let me ask you a couple questions to think about this. I've been thinking about this a lot. What if God didn't expand the grid on how he sees people? What if God decided that you were not worthy to be called his child? What if God decided not to send his son Jesus to die for humanity? Where would you be without him? And so the question remains, God calls us to see people without restrictions. What does your grid look like? I'd invite you to set your things aside and go to prayer with us this morning. And I'd invite you to ask the Lord a question. And the question is pretty simple. Lord, how do I see people? Lord, right now, how do I see people? And God, what do I need to do to see them like you do? I'll give you a moment to talk to God about that. So maybe you know that you've put some restrictions on people and that you're not seeing them very well. Take some time to come to the Lord and, and do some work on that. Ask for forgiveness. But then also ask God to challenge you to change. Challenge you to get rid of the restrictions that you have so that you can see people the way that He does with love and with grace and with compassion and with kindness. Maybe for some of you here today, this whole idea of God being a God that is loving and graceful is new to you. You've never heard of a God who loves you and who cares for you and who sent his son Jesus to die for you. But today that you realize that, you realize that you're not walking with God, that you've been separated from him. And so if that's you, and if you want to know God, I'd invite you to cry out to him, to call to him and to pray to him right where you're at. And you can pray this way. God, thank you for sending your son Jesus so that I can have a relationship with you. God, I know that I'm a sinner and that I've screwed up and I've done silly things. 
God, today I realize that you are perfect and that you are holy and that your son Jesus died and because of that it covers my sin. And so God, today, right here, right now, I'm asking you to forgive me. God, I'm asking you to clean me up, to make me new, to come and live inside of me, God, to fill me with your presence. God, I ask you to be my Savior, my Lord, the boss of my life. God, today I'm giving you the wheel of my life, asking you to guide it and to lead it and to draw me to you. And with heads bowed and eyes closed, that's the biggest decision that anybody will ever make on the face of the planet. And we feel so strongly around here that that's such a big decision that we want to encourage you along your way. And so if you just made that decision, would you just raise your hand and make eye contact with me so that I can pray for you and encourage you? Nobody's going to embarrass you. You can do that now if that's you. Yeah, I see you right there. Good job. God's making you new and he's coming in and cleaning you up. Is there anybody else? I don't want to miss anybody. God, thank you for the morning. Thank you that we can come and worship you and love you and hear from you. God, we want to order our lives around you and your kingdom. Help us to leave this place changed, seeing people the way that you see people. 